Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. In 2016, when Donald Trump was running for president, if memory serves, he did not get a single newspaper endorsement. He might have gotten one of some obscure newspaper in the Midwest somewhere, but I think he got pretty close to zero. And you know what? He still got elected president, and nobody cared that none of these newspapers didn't endorse him. And I've so often wondered... Why should anybody care who these newspapers are endorsing? I mean, chances are, depending on what newspaper you read, you know whether they have a liberal outlook or a conservative outlook. And maybe if you're talking about a Republican primary, maybe a newspaper like the New York Post carries some weight. If you're talking about a Democratic primary, maybe a newspaper like the New York Times carries some weight. But I have never thought that the idea of a newspaper endorsement makes sense. I don't think they change anyone's vote. And I don't see local cable stations making their endorsements, local radio stations. I'm sure it does go on from time to time. But uh, this radio station, for instance, WABC, we're not endorsing any candidate or candidates for anything. I think people should be trusted to make their own decisions. And now newspapers controlled by Alden Global Capital said they would no longer endorse candidates for president, governor and U.S. Senate. That includes the New York Daily News, the Boston Herald, the San Jose Mercury News and the Orlando Sentinel. They're not alone. The days when a prominent newspaper endorsement would quickly make it into a campaign ad or voters would clip out an editorial to take it to the voting booth seem destined for history. And as nostalgic as I am about certain things about the politics of yesteryear, this is one tradition which I think has always been silly, and I'm glad to see it go by the wayside. I've never understood these newspaper endorsements. I don't think they amount to a hill of beans, and I'm glad more and more newspapers seem to be going away from this. I'd be curious to know if there's anybody out there that actually changes their mind based on who a newspaper endorses. I'd be very surprised. I'd rather the newspapers put this same amount of energy, ink, and line space into just reporting on what all the candidates believe, what their platform is, what their agenda is, what their backgrounds are. That would be a much better use of these newspapers' time. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, get ready to learn a whole lot more about how much companies pay their workers because starting yesterday, New York City employers must disclose salary information in job ads thanks to a new pay transparency law that will reverberate nationwide. Now, this is a law based in New York, but this is not just a New York thing. Pay transparency is catching on around the country as part of a push to shrink 
gender and racial pay gaps. It's upending the way companies handle compensation and how employees and job candidates negotiate for more money. California's pay transparency law takes effect in January, meaning that two of the nation's biggest job markets, New York and California, will also be the most transparent. Employers have spent months getting ready for this. They'll now have to post salary ranges for open roles, but many didn't have any established pay bans at all. Companies with more than four employees must post a salary range for any open role that's performed in the city or could be performed in the city. And if you violate this, violators could ultimately be fined up to $250,000, though a first offense just gets a warning. So in a world where salary information is secret, employers have the upper hand. This is something that gives the upper hand to the people that are seeking a job. And I think this is great. I have long been curious about what some of my colleagues, not just at this job, but at other jobs that I've worked at over the course of the last uh, couple of decades are making because it helps you in your own salary negotiations. It uh, helps you if you know what the other guy that's doing what you do is getting paid, but it's rude to just go over to them and ask. And I hope that this new law will result in a better informed employee and potential employees making better decisions about what jobs they want to seek out. A pay transparency law similar to New York's, went into effect in Colorado last year. And more transparency means companies might need to pay a little bit more for talent at a time when wages are already rising in a tight labor market. Now, it's still a pretty vague requirement. The law requires only that salary ranges be in good faith, and there's no penalty for paying someone outside of the range posted. For instance, if you apply for a job that's listed for between eighty dollars and $100,000, and they decide to pay you $75,000, and you decide to accept it, there's no penalty for the employer. And I think that's fine. I think the idea is, when you seek out these jobs, you just want to know what the ranges are. Bottom line is more sunlight is a good thing for workers and it could help reduce uh, some of the pay inequities, some of the people that might be taken advantage of. You could bet that whatever your profession is, there's going to be a whole lot of people checking the job board starting today. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. It is being reported that New York City's building commissioner is under investigation as part of a gambling probe with him possibly racking up debts during card games with mob associates and working to use his position to pay them back. That's what law enforcement sources told the New York Post yesterday, the New York Times, reporting the story as well, that the Department of Buildings chief, Eric Ulrich, a former New York City councilman, was served a search warrant by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office outside his home in Queens in the morning. Investigators seized Ulrich's mobile phone during the search. Probers are focused on gambling that Ulrich allegedly participated in in back rooms in Ozone Park, Queens, before he joined Mayor Adams' administration this year. couple of things. One, Eric Ulrich is a Republican, and I thought he did a good job when he was in the city council. I wouldn't uh, say that uh, Ulrich and I are friends, but we're certainly friendly. We've hung out a bunch over the years. I supported him in his 2017 re-election. I believe I supported him in his 2013 re-election. I've always liked him. Uh, that being said, there have been others that have warned about him. Uh, the first person that comes to mind is uh, Curtis Sliwa, but certainly a lot of others have warned about him as well. And Ulrich's reputation, and again, I like the guy, 
Uh, but Ulrich's reputation has always been that he's a little shady. That's kind of what I like about him. There's certain folks that are kind of shady, and I don't mind associating with folks that are a little shady. That being said, I don't know how the Adams administration appointed him as the commissioner of the Department of Buildings. What kind of vetting did they do? Had they done any sort of vetting whatsoever? Had they just gone to uh, Mateo's in Howard Beach or the New Hyde Park Pizzeria or any of the places that Ulrich hangs out at a regular basis or just gone down to City Hall and talked to some of his colleagues and just asked around, this stuff would have come out. It leads me to think that the Adams team did not do any vetting. And it makes you wonder about some of the other folks that are in this administration that have a shadiness about them. What about Philip Banks, for instance, who left his position with the NYPD through a cloud of suspicion? What about others? If this is the case for Eric Ulrich, and I want to be clear, Eric Ulrich hasn't been charged with a crime, and even if he were to be charged with a crime, he's entitled to a presumption of innocence. But it really makes you ask some questions about the vetting that the Adams team is doing here. And I hope whatever procedures they have in place, they improve them. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. One more hour to go. Don't even think of touching that dial. By now, you've probably heard on the news that, uh, unfortunately, two Newark police officers were shot while responding to a 911 call. Their injuries, thankfully, are not life-threatening. The suspected shooter remained at large on Tuesday evening. This, to me, underscores just how dangerous it is to be a police officer everywhere. Two uniformed cops shot on Tuesday afternoon in the largest city in New Jersey as they responded to a 911 call about a man wanted for a separate shooting there last week. The officers from the Newark Police Department shot at close range in a parking lot behind an apartment building on a quiet street of tidy homes, neat lawns, and yellowing maple trees. I know this block. I know this neighborhood. I've hung out there. And it is not exactly what you'd consider a hotbed of crime. But when you're a police officer, everywhere is a place where you could be a potential target. And I can't think of a better week to highlight what we are doing with our Back the Blue event on Thursday. If you haven't heard about it, join 77 WABC and Ramsey Mazda as we honor law enforcement officers across the nation, Newark and New York to Malibu and Florida, you name it, every all across the country, on Thursday, November 3rd, with special guests and commentary. 77 WABC and Ramsey Mazda, Back the Blue, This Thursday, November 3rd, there's going to be information at WABCradio.com, all sorts of special programming throughout the day. By the way, what can you do? Well, here's how you could start. There's a lot of things you could do. Here's one thing you can do to start. Join the Red Apple Audio Network family in supporting our tri-state and national law enforcement departments and sign our petition to make our communities safe. Head over to petition.othersideofmidnightshow.com right now. And if you support the men and women of law enforcement who put their lives on the line daily to protect us, sign our petition to make communities safer by supporting law enforcement. Go to petition.othersideofmidnightshow.com and sign up now. I've signed the petition as well. I hope you will too. Wishing a speedy recovery to these police officers in Newark 
and I hope they catch this creep in a hurry. Beam me up! To be continued.